Welcome back to Solutions Watch, ladies and gentlemen. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and this conversation is being recorded on the 25th of January 2022, and it's going to be quite a doozy today, because we're going to be talking about a very big, very broad topic, but in very specific detail. Namely, we're going to be talking about the idea of food forests and the natural abundance around us, but we're going to do so through a very specific topic how to eat a pine tree. And in order to talk about that, we're going to be talking to Michael Hoffman of Food Forest Montana, who is going to be talking about this idea. If you want the big picture of food forests and what they are and how they work and what kind of services Food Forest Montana can provide for you, I will direct your attention to a recent appearance of Michael Hoffman on the Declare Your Independence radio show where they did a very deep dive discussion on these topics. But we're going to bring him on here to Solutions Watch. Michael Hoffman, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, and it's an honor to be here, James. Awesome. Well, let's introduce you for the audience. Who are you? Where do you come from? Why are you interested in the food forest idea? Well, I am Michael Hoffman, and I have been uh, looking at this for the last 12 years of my life. So when I was about 18 years old, um, I really had kind of that boom, you know, red pill moment, I guess you could say. Um, uh, I always felt like things were off, but... Um, I was introduced to the work of Max Egan, read one of his books, and it kind of took me down and to answer a lot of the questions that were floating around in my mind. And from there, it was, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And so that really brought me to the idea of looking at the way we live, looking at my lifestyle, my daily choices, and how I can be uh, a living antithesis to the issues that we face. And so... Uh, that took me into the idea of going off grid, um, looking at more sustainable building models. Uh, sustainable, it's a loaded term, but uh, looking at uh, building models that that work with nature. You can look at uh, earthships in New Mexico as a, a wonderful example of that. And um, so I, I made that resolution that I was going to take myself and my family off grid. And so... I was born and raised in the D.C. metro area in what I would not call a very uh, conducive environment to that that style of living. And I moved uh, to the southwest, to New Mexico, um, for various reasons. I was really pulled there. But I always had it in my heart that I wanted to live uh, in mountains and forests and live in the trees. And so uh, that took us to where we are now, living off-grid in Montana on uh, 11 wooded acres uh, in a log cabin. And so it's been a journey uh, of really learning so much along the way and learning what I can do in my own life. But I've always had this desire and passion to share that with others. And so I got introduced to Jim Gale, who founded Food Forest Abundance. And I'm really grateful to have Jim as a friend. He's a, a wonderful guy. And he had this idea of uh, transforming the suburban lawn and transforming all of these landscapes that we're maintaining that aren't giving back to us into edible landscapes. So he talks about the idea whose time has come, you know, the, an idea that is uh, more powerful than all the armies of the world. And for him, that was the Garden of Eden. And I really resonated with that, not from uh, just looking at that as a religious idea, but just the idea of living in harmony with nature and looking at the natural blueprint, which is abundance. If you open any fruit, look at how many seeds in that are in that fruit and how many more fruit that could lead to. You know, if we just 
took that time to steward our environment, uh, it's just such a potent solution to all the issues that we're facing. Well, those ideas very much resonate with what I'm trying to do with Solutions Watch. And uh, don't be ashamed of terms like sustainable. The people who have taken those terms and corrupted them and tried to sell people a fake synthetic UN-approved version of those terms should be ashamed. But people who are interested could go back to my video on I am a sustainable free trade globalist to show people how the words get co-opted and put into context that they don't mean what they mean. No, we should be looking for sustainable systems and abundance, which does exist. And so in order to really get a handle on this and to put some specific brass tacks down on the table, I, I wanted to introduce this through something specific that we could teach the audience that they could start going out and doing for themselves right away. And so I asked you for a list of topics and you came back with a list, including the topic of how to eat a pine tree, and that was too irresistible for me. So I, I, I'm as interested in this as I'm sure a lot of the viewers are right now. Michael Hoffman, the floor is yours. Tell us how to eat a pine tree. Awesome. So the pine tree, I'm really hoping, will be everyone's gateway drug into foraging. I want this to inspire them to learn the trees that are growing around them and learn what else uh, has value in their natural environment, just growing ready to, to be interacted with, ready to be harvested. So uh, talking about pine itself, it is one of the most prolific uh, trees across the world. It is extremely easy to identify. I think everyone has a, a concept of what evergreens look like, but pines, uh, spruces, and uh, Douglas firs, another one that really closely resembles a spruce, um, they're all perfectly edible. They have uh, culinary value, nutritional value, and you can identify them by just, you know, evergreens with those round needles coming out either in clusters, that's going to be pine, or uh, fir or spruce, the uh, needles actually come out in all directions off of the twigs. So pretty easy to identify those. And there's uh, so much that is edible on them. So the first one I like to tell people about is cambium. And what cambium is, is uh, if you peel back the outer layer of bark, in between that bark and the actual wood of the tree is a thin layer there. Um, it's a white fibrous layer, and that's the cambium. And what that is, is the nutrient transport system of the tree. So it uh, transports all of the macronutrients and is therefore uh, really starchy. It's um, loaded with uh, those macronutrients. And you can actually eat that raw. You can separate it into long strips and you can cook those up like a pasta. Or you can actually dry it out and powder it down and use that as a flower. Uh, in Scandinavia, they make pine cake. So uh, there's a lot you can do with just the cambium itself. Um, there are other parts of the tree that I like to look at are going to be the needles themselves. Um, they are loaded with vitamin C. And the best way I like to get at that is to actually just make a tea out of it. Go out there and you can either harvest some needles or if you've got Douglas fir or spruce in your area, you can just take trimmings of the twig and boil up some water, let it you know, ease down from that rolling boil. You don't want it super hot because that'll take out uh, some of the more volatile compounds and terpenes and things. And then just steep it like a regular tea. And uh, you can pull that out and that's going to be packed full of vitamin C, which is super important for us because that's one of the only vitamins that the human body doesn't synthesize. It, it's dietary. So I don't want anyone getting scurvy on my watch. You go get your vitamin C, people. And... Um, in the springtime, you can also get 
spruce tips or fir tips. And so what that looks like is as the tree grows, um, you'll see in the early springtime, a little bit in the winter, but mostly in the early spring, the tips of the branches will start getting these little brown cone-like structures. And they'll start to kind of grow and swell up. And eventually it's that papery brown coating peels back and you get these bright green needles. And those you can actually just eat raw. They're soft, they're nice. It's got a nice citrusy flavor. You can uh, mash that up into a pesto. You can turn it into a jelly, and it has a nice kind of citrusy rosemary flavor. A um, lot you can do with those, so look for those in the springtime. And last but not le least, the one that a lot of people will probably have instantly come into their mind is pine nuts. And uh, certainly you can get those in the fall, but I will warn people that there's uh, only a few kinds of pine trees that are, I really think are worth getting at the rest of them. Uh, you're going to have a ton of work for these itty bitty seeds, but, uh, yeah, there's just a ton you can do with pine. And, uh, this isn't a dangerous activity. People aren't going to be keeling over after eating the wrong branch on the wrong tree or something, are they? No, certainly not. So the only one I, uh, advise people to become familiar with, uh, especially here in America is what's called Western U. Uh, if you look at it, it's, pretty hard to think that's a pine tree. Uh, it looks like an evergreen, but it doesn't have needles. They've got flat structures on them coming off. So uh, familiarize yourself with what you looks like. Uh, I also recommend familiarizing yourself with other evergreens like juniper. Um, that's a really common one. But again, it, it does not have those needles. So it's it's pretty hard to make that mistake. Well, that's kind of actually, I think, part of the broader concept here is familiarize yourself with your local area and what you do have and know what it is that you have. That's the first step towards understanding the abundance that actually exists around you that who knew? Yeah, pine trees, source of abundance. Cambion? I'm sure a lot of people out there know about it. I don't. So <laughs> thank you for bringing it to my attention and uh, I'll be on the lookout. I don't know about Japanese uh, black pines, but I'll... I'll be investigating their nutritional value. Uh, is there any particular favorite over at the Hoffman household as to uh, your favorite recipe? So, uh, you know, I've tried both uh, on my property in particular. We've got a lot of yellow pine. It's also known as Ponderosa pine and lots of Douglas fir. Um, I've tried them both and I tend to be a bigger fan of fir. It's got a nice citrusy flavor. Um, the yellow pine's a little bit more uh, bitter. But yeah, so I, I like to harvest the uh, fur tips in the springtime, and we actually freeze and save those. And um, you can make jellies out of those, or like I said, pesto, which I'm a, a huge fan of the pesto. And then just the twigs themselves of the Douglas fir is my favorite tea. So I, I make that all the time. It's really nice stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, then let's transition into the larger topic of food forests and the natural abundance that is around us, as opposed to the artificial scarcity that's created by the people who want to control people based on that scarcity. Let's talk about food forests and the idea and where it came from and how you got introduced to it and why you're excited about it. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about that idea of what a forest is. It's who's out there maintaining a forest. It is there just growing by itself. It, it doesn't require human intervention to keep thriving. And so someone could go out onto our property and, you know, especially this time, if you're in the winter, if they didn't have, uh, you know, a, a lunch bag ready to go, they'd start panicking. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? 
And I know that even right now, uh, with snow on the ground, I can go out there, I can find some wintergreen berries, I can find some rose hips. Uh, if I'm not feeling well, I've got a sore throat, I can go get some uh, bark off of our choke cherries and turn that into a lovely cough syrup. Uh, there's a reason that most people's cough syrups are cherry flavored because it's that ancestral memory of this used to be made with cherries. And all of the things I just mentioned aren't even things we planted. Those were already growing here. So it's uh, an extremely powerful thing. And what I believe is the difference between just surviving but actually thriving in your natural environment to, to know and identify those plants. But the food forest idea in general, what it's doing is mirroring uh, the natural model of a forest and uh, stewarding that to be a edible and usable forest for human needs. So uh, we generally recognize seven or eight layers of a forest. Um, and what we do is take a guild of plants, put them in close proximity and stack all of those functions so that every layer of it has medical or edible value. And uh, you can even engineer nitrogen fixers into that. So that's creating fertilizer for those plants. You're not having to go out and buy chemicals. It is a regenerative system that will continue producing food you know, for generations to come with very little maintenance. Now, now that is sustainability. It's not some UN program of, you know, let's monopolize the world's resources. No, it is the natural sustainability. As you say, who's maintaining the forest to no one? You'll come back in 100 years. It'll still be there, still doing fine. Don't worry about it. So that's that's great. And if we can use that, even better, right? So, but as you say, most people probably who are watching this conversation probably are not living in a cabin in 11 or 12 acres of wooded property. They're probably living in a little suburban plot of land. What can people do with that? And how can Food uh, Forest Montana help with that? Yeah. Um, so the suburban yard, it, when you really think about it, it actually takes more water and chemicals than any other crop, at least here in the United States, that's for certain. And it doesn't give us anything back other than, you know, maybe some people like how it looks. So if we can turn that on its head and look at landscapes that aren't giving back to us, and transition that into something that is still beautiful, but is fully edible, it's nutritious, it's fresh food, ripe in season, ready for you. Uh, I think that's such a powerful solution. And so if you are living in a suburban home on, um, let's say you've got an eighth of an acre backyard, uh, an eighth of an acre is enough if designed right to feed a family of four all year long. And uh, if you're looking at designing and having that installed, the place to go is to foodforestabundance.com. We've got a team of permaculture designers who will help uh, work with you and your needs and customize uh, a blueprint that you can either then take as a DIY model for installing it yourself, or you can reach out to one of our local installers to help you get the job done. And uh, if you're looking at the full service to get a design, to get the job done, you're probably looking at something like fifteen to $20,000. Um, and that might sound like a lot of money. And I, it is for most people. I know that's a lot of, that'd be a ton of money for me. But uh, I like to frame that in perspective of that's including the hardscaping, amending the soil, all of the plants, the thoughtful design that's there. And it's an investment into your future. Uh, rather than spending hundreds of dollars a week at the grocery store for food that's poisonous to your body, that's poisonous to our environment, 
and devoid of nutrition. Um, let's take spinach as an example. It loses 90% of its vitamin C within a day after harvest. So not only are you going to be eating better, but you're going to be not wasting your money on medical bills. You're going to actually probably have so much abundance that you can set up a stand at your local farmer's market and start making some of that money back. And to make that more accessible for people, I would also like everyone to know that we're launching a company called Grow Green Global, which, uh, as far as I know, is, is the first of its kind. It's uh, looking to finance food forests. So it's going to make it a whole lot more accessible for someone who might not have that money to, to drop in one big lump, but they can afford something on a monthly basis to start growing their own fresh food. And for people who are unable or are concerned about the price, I'm sure there are ways to do it for cheaper on a DIY kind of basis. And I assume you know some of the tips and tricks for cutting corners or at the very least for doing things on a, on a tighter budget, right? Absolutely. There's a ton you can do. So um, number one, uh, looking at the bulk materials, uh, get savvy with some some farmers around you, some people who uh, maybe raise livestock organically. Um, those can be good places to source compost from. A lot of them will have compost piles going and they'll sell it for pretty cheap. Uh, if you want something for free, though, uh, we always – exposed soil is a really bad thing. So we cover all of our food forests in mulch. And if you contact your local tree trimming service, they actually have to pay to dump all of that mulch from the trees that they're trimming and grinding up all day long. They got to pay to dump that. So if you call them and say, hey, we're looking for some mulch, they would be more than happy to dump it on your property. Um, and pedaling back to the idea of learning what is growing naturally around you, even if you are living in a suburban environment, I'm sure you've got some kind of natural refuge near you where you can go and take a hike. And there you can start taking uh, cuttings of the plants that you're identifying and bringing those back to your food forest. And a huge thing to, to keep in mind, too, is if you're starting on a smaller footprint or you're just looking to maybe incrementally grow your food forest, look at self-fertile trees. Um, so something like an apple actually needs more than one tree to pollinate itself and create fruit. But peaches, plums, apricots... Um, there's tons of trees out there that are self-fertile and will produce with just having one tree. Awesome. I'm sure there were a lot of tricks like that that uh, people might not know. Again, what is in their own area and what works best for them. I probably have never really thought about the best way to design such a system. So I, uh, I hope at the very least people will be putting their thinking caps on about their own uh, living situation with regards to this conversation. And Again, you're specifically in Montana and you have Food Forest Montana, but then there's the larger Food Forest Abundance. How do these things work together? And is this national, international? Yeah. So Food Forest Montana is uh, our cooperative that we operate locally here in Montana. Um, and it's a cooperative of Food Forest Abundance, which is a network of designers and installers all across the world. The last time I checked, I think we were in something like 40 states and 15 countries. Um, it, it's hard to keep up because it's just this idea is exploding. And so um, if you're looking for help on a uh, global level, Food Forest Abundance is the place to go. But I'm also the uh, project manager for the Mountain Time Zone. So if you're in the Mountain Time Zone, um, certainly I can help you get installed. 
And uh, anywhere you might live, I am the head of the Self-Reliant Living Program for Food Forest Abundance. So uh, happy to look at your lifestyle and help you come up with a custom blueprint for how you can go from where you are now to living a fully self-reliant life. Excellent. Well, there you go. I I think there will be people who will be interested in this. Uh, As you say, the idea is exploding because an army cannot stop an idea whose time has come. It sounds like the time has come on this. And if you uh, are able to maintain and landscape a land as well as you maintain and landscape your beard, I think people will (laughs) very much appreciate that service. Anyway, of course, I will be putting the link into Food Forest Montana and Food Forest Abundance in the show notes so people can check that out. All right, Michael Hoffman, I think that's a good entree to the larger conversation about food forestry and uh, and uh, and permaculture in general. Hopefully we can have you back on in the future to talk in more detail about these subjects, but I think that'll do it for today, and I hope, uh, I hope to hear about some great pine tree recipes in the comment section of this video. Michael Hoffman, thank you for your time. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure.